Welcome to Conversations with Coley, where we have conversations about subjects we think about but often don't speak about. My name is Nicole Miller, and I'm the author of this book series, A Through Z, Guide to Raising a Good Human, a series I wrote to help in the communication process. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Coley. Today I am speaking with Joseph Cagey, owner and founder of Top Fence LLC in Jacksonville, Florida. Joseph is also a podcast host on the show Let's Get Real, so be sure to check him out on all listening platforms. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you, Nicole. It's definitely an honor to be here. Hopefully I can bring some value to the guests, you know, through the story and through our conversation. So I'm definitely grateful to be here. Well, thank you. And I hope I didn't hack your last name up. I meant to ask you if I was saying it. it right. No, you did a great job. You actually got it right on point. So good job on that. Well, what helped Started was I listened, I listened to your podcast this morning. So <laughs> I did some homework. I like it. That's, I hope you enjoyed it. I, hope you I actually it. did. I was on my way to a job interview and I listened to your first episode. Then it skipped to the 16th episode, which was talking about the insurance sales. Well, unbeknownst to me, I thought I was going to a law office. I was going to an insurance sales interview. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that it was meant me. to be. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's what it's supposed to do. So I'm glad. I'm glad. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start with your icebreaker question. If, okay. you, if you could fix one of the world's problems, what would you choose to fix? Our perspective on happiness. That would be the biggest thing. It's one, it, it's, I always think maybe if you would ask me that question at a different time in my life, but if you're asking me today of what I've been seeing is people's perspective on what happiness really means and what it means to them. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. That was a great answer. So tell everybody about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So currently right now, I'm a husband and father first. My wife and I have been married for five years. I'm also a, in recovery. I've been sober for five years. Uh, my wife and I, we have five children all together. Uh, my wife had three from her previous marriage, and we both have two together. Um, and I'm also a business owner. Um, that's who I am today. I wasn't always this individual, of course. Um, I was somebody who, you know, we just talked about the perspective of happiness. I didn't know what that looked like. I always tried to find it. Uh, I tried to find it in other people. I tried to find it in material things. That led to a deep depression for me. Uh, which I took the sadness, I took the depression, and I used drugs and alcohol to numb those feelings. Uh, I did that for 12 years. Um, almost consecutively, the only time I was ever sober were the two times that I went to prison. Uh, I went to prison when I was 18 for 24 months, and I went back to prison when I was 21, or 22, I'm sorry, um, and I went, I served three years there. Um, so those were the, the, and in prison, sometimes I wasn't even sober, but and, and, the, and when I wasn't in prison, um, I was I was always trying to figure out who I was. Um, and I became whoever somebody else told me I was, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. So let me ask you, are you a product of a traumatic childhood? Um, I wouldn't almost say traumatic. I, I did have some things that happened in my childhood. I used to think um, the reason why I got high was because of things that happened to me in my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but today I understand that, you know, so let, let's go to the question. When I was seven years old, I was molested for two years right. by a, by a close family member. And what's crazy about that is I never thought it affected me, but when I, when I really looked back at how it affected me, I actually went through life and I never really thought about that. I never really said, oh my gosh, this happened. Right. But what I, what I did realize what that event did, did to me was 
you know, when it happened, it was kept a big secret. I never talked to anybody about it. And that was the first introduction to, if you ever go through something painful, Joseph, don't ever talk to somebody. And I think that's where my trauma started for me Mm. was it was the introduction to there's something that I felt really weird that nobody ever really talked about this with me. Um, I didn't ever really talk about it when it happened. It was just like somebody found out it happened. The person got in trouble and that was it. Like I never even talked to my dad about it. Um, So that's, that's where it started of hide behind your pain, hide your story, hide the things you go through, don't open up. And and I would say that would be the, the way it affected me the most. Right. And so do you think that that led you to start using or was there other things that maybe contributed? Um, no, it was so back to saying how I, I, I hid behind my emotions. Um, it was the start of that, which led to my using. So mm-hmm. that happened when I was seven years old. It happened all the way till nine. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I moved from Detroit, Michigan to Jacksonville, Florida, where I live now at the age of 14. Mm. When I came here, I had similar, I, I had those feelings again of I'm uncomfortable. I don't fit in. Um, and I had other things. This is the first time I've ever really felt like I struggled in my life. Yeah. Uh, before I, I grew up throughout a, a big family. I played sports. I always had people in my life. Now I have nobody and I'm trying to become new. And I, I, I didn't know how to deal with that stuff. Um, I was almost like, I, it almost made me shy. And anybody who knows me that hears like I'm shy, they're like, what? <laughs> but I didn't know who to right. be. And I never talked to anybody. I never, I just was looking. I was searching hard to be liked, to be accepted around here. Um, and the first crowd of people that I found, they would, they were smoking weed. And, and, and the more I did that, the first time I, I put something in my body that changed the way I felt, my immediate reaction was, this is how I'm going to treat my life the rest of my life. I'm going to use drugs or alcohol, whatever can help me not feel. Because again, Joseph doesn't know how to deal with his pain. Now I found a way to deal with it. And that's how it started at the age of 14. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So not fitting in and having those like kind of identity issues, not belonging really, or knowing where you belonged. Is that kind of what started off the depression? That's right. Yes. Uh, I was very angry when I moved here because that started to happen to me. So I, I, I had a big resentment towards my father for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated him. I remember thinking like, I wish he died. It was that much hatred in my heart towards my dad. And my dad's an amazing father. You know, he, he, he tried to do everything he could get me a car and did everything to make it work for me. Um, but when, when I started to go to high school, this is my introduction to high school. Now, um, in ninth grade, I was like, it was a culture shock. And, and I really, really felt depressed. Um, I remember thinking like, I'm just going to walk back to Michigan. I was so depressed. Mm. Um, so I was looking for ways to to avoid that depression. You know, I hated who I was because I started losing who I was. You know, I was Joseph who grew up in Michigan around family and played sports. And I was known about sports. I had a lot of friends. And now I'm an, I felt like a nobody now. Yeah. Now I just felt like you're nobody. I couldn't relate to anybody down south. You know, people drive trucks and they fish and hunt. I've never done any of that stuff. <laughs> um, so that is definitely where my depression started at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So what was your drug of choice, if I may ask? Yeah, the, my drug of choice was opiates. Mm. Um, the first time. So, you know, I smoked pot and I, I drank every day. Um, until I, I, I remember I got this job working at this pizza parlor and, and I, I always wanted to stay away from home cause I was so angry with my dad. I just didn't want to be home that this job offered me. I, they just said, you can work as much as you want. And I was like, great. 
And when I worked there, I met somebody who he would smoke weed with me too. And I, one day I said, Hey man, you're all, you never get tired. You work these long hour shifts and why don't you get tired? And he said, well, I take opiates. Have you ever tried them? And I remember I was like, no, what is it? I didn't even know what it was. Right. And he said, oh man, it's, it's the best. You know, it makes me feel like I can go all day long. I feel like I'm on top of the world. And that's all he had to tell me. I yeah. said, oh, dude, can I try one? And I remember him being nervous at the time. Like, well, you're young. You know, I was 15 at the time. And I was like, come on, man, if you're not going to give me one, I'm going to go find a way to get it. So you might as well just hook me up. And, and so he did. And I said the same exact thing when I took one, I said, now this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, and I, that's all I did. I, every day I woke up, it was, I need to get more. Um, he automatically saw like, Hey, you need to relax. You're, you're almost going too much. And I was, you couldn't tell me anything at the time. It was, I was going right. to do what I wanted to do and don't tell me not to do it. Cause now you're in my way. Um, and that's all I did. I woke up every day to, to chase that drug. Wow. Yeah. And that's the one thing with opiates is they are made and designed to take a hold of you and own you. Right. right. Yeah. So can you talk about your rock bottom moment? Like what happened for you that you decided, okay, enough's enough. You did these drugs for 12 years. Yeah. So I always thought I had so many of those moments, you know, and it's such a great question because there were so many times, Nicole, that in my, when I was trying to get sober, I was sleeping in my car and saying, I'm done. I got to be done with this. Like you're sleeping in your car. Your mom and dad won't let you in your house. You lost your job. You wake up every day to find out who you're going to steal from. And I would say, this is, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. And it's, God only knew how bad my bottom had to get, you know, I, I went to prison the first time and, and many people would have thought that was your bottom. You finally, you know, you went to prison for two years, you know, prison was not a fun place to be. Well, especially uh, and I in came Florida. Home and it was, oh yeah, especially in Florida. That's very <laughs> uh, so it's not a fun place to be. I came home with the mindset of like, I'm just not going to do drugs anymore, but I never really said like, I'm not going to drink. Eventually it started happening again. Um, and then I went to prison for three years and you would again think this is my bottom. Well, I'll say this prison is like the streets in a confined space, right? There's a lot of drugs in prison. So now you take a broken Joseph, throw him into prison, doesn't know how to deal with his emotions. All I have is time to think. And I'm, I don't want to think about my pain and my things that I've dealt with. So I still continue to get high. They sent me to a work release program. My last year, again, I was still getting high at this time. And I'm getting to the rock bottom moment for you, by the way. Yeah, um, no, it's and when, all I, right. when I was at the work. Oh, I'm sorry. So nice. I got to a work release program. And what a work release program is, they put an ankle monitor on me and allowed me to go into community to get a job. And then they would take like 60% of the money and allow you to save the 40% for when you come home. But if you violate there, they send you back to prison to do the remaining time of your sentence. So I violated. I got sent back on January 23rd, 2017. My sobriety date is January 24th, 2000. That was my rock bottom. And yeah, you're good. So that was my rock bottom. I got sent back. Um, I was in a 10 by 10 cell. Um, and there was an individual who was in that cell who was maybe 60 years old. And he just looked at me and he said, you're going to be just like me, Joseph. And this guy's been to prison seven times. And I just remember when he said that for some reason, and I call it God, it was the first time I was so scared of coming back. You would think I've always said, I don't ever want to come back. But at this moment, I said, the only way I'm coming back to prison, if I continue to get high, if I don't stay sober, I'm going to be like this guy. So for the first moment, the first time in my life, I got honest with God and myself. 
I got on my knees and I cried like a baby to, to God. And I said, Mm -hmm. listen, I'm about to go back into a prison compound and I know there's drugs there. And I don't even know if I can stay sober when I get out of this cell. I need you to help me to do that because I want to stay sober. I don't want to get high anymore. If I can stay sober, I know I can do this. I know I won't come back to prison. Um, and, and by God's grace at that moment, that's when I said, I have to focus on this. Um, and when I, when I got out, I stayed to myself. I started just reading books. And as soon as I came home, I reached out to people in recovery to start my journey of recovery. Nice. Did you take a traditional program or did you, for the most part, do it on your own? No, I, I would never have been able to do it on my own. Um, okay. I, I always, I always tried to do it on my own without doing the traditional program. Um, the program I'm involved in is Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and, and I, I used to go into the rooms and always say like, you guys are just going to help me get sober for a little bit and I'm going to be gone. Um, but I went back into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and that's where I, I started my journey of recovery. And I'm still on that. I'm still in the rooms of AA today, helping other guys to get sober. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's yeah. not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. And so I was going to ask you in any time in your sobriety, did you stay sober? Or did you fall off? Cause sometimes people fall off and then they go, well, I just can't do it. Did you ever have any moments where it was like you wanted to fall off or you felt like you couldn't do it? Um, well, in, in this term, this five years, I've tried to get sober before and obviously I never stayed. I would, I would come for a little bit. And the part that I always struggled with is they wanted me to get real with people. They wanted me to be honest with people. And that's what I always struggle with is getting real and getting honest with somebody. So before, of course, it happened all the time. This time, I don't want to say I struggled, but what I never understood was I remember the first time I had a day off of work and I I had some freedom. And for some reason, my mind said, hey, I should go smoke a joint right now and go watch a movie. And it it like it kind of scared me that I had that thought. I was like, wait, where did this thought come from? You know, I've been sober. It was about 30 days now. I'm home. I'm, I'm going to my meeting. I'm doing everything in the program. And, and all of a sudden, a thought comes on a day off of work that I want to go get smoke a joint. And I was like, and I, I remember just thinking about that. And it just, it, it was weird how I didn't understand what was going on in my mind. And I was very scared. I'll never forget it. I was like almost afraid that, why am I thinking this? You haven't changed. And the, the voices started happening. They started, they started coming to my head to say, you haven't changed, Joseph. You're the same old you. Look at you thinking about smoking oh. weed right now. You're going to go back again. Here you go. That you temptation devil. Time. That's exactly what it was. And thank God that I was so scared that the fear allowed me to pick up the phone to share that thought with somebody. And I remember when I, when I thought about sharing, I was like, this person's going to think I'm crazy, that I just got out of prison. I'm thinking about getting high. But what was amazing was I found out was that individual was somebody who was in the program recovery and they knew they had the same thoughts. They understood me. They understood my mind. And he said, Joseph, you're an alcoholic. The disease centers in your mind, excuse me. And the enemy knows how to take you out. The enemy knows that the only way Joseph is going to, if I can stop him from doing something great, I just got to get him to go get high. Mm-hmm. So now that you know that the enemy's doing push-ups, what can you do right now to not act on this thought? I said, well, I called you. You know, I said, I just don't know why this, like I was kind of angry. Why is this thought? And he says, hey, you, sometimes you can't control your thoughts, but what you do with them is important. So what I would suggest since you have some free time and you don't know what to do is find out if you can head to a meeting right now and just go share that with somebody, get it off your chest. And that's the first time I really experienced being very real and authentic, like walking into a room of, of, I remember it was about 50 to 60 people. And I raised my hand. I said, today was my first day off getting out of prison. 
And it was weird that my thoughts were getting high. And that whole meeting, so many people shared about how they had the same thoughts and, and just getting it out. And that's how I learned to say, Joseph, whenever you're struggling with something, just get it out. It'll help. Yeah. So that was probably the, the toughest time. You know, it might not seem like it was tough, but mentally for me, it was a very, it was a struggle. Um, and I just knew if I got to keep doing what I got to do, because I, if I go back out, you know, people have a relapse prevention program. And, and if I go back out, I know me. If I go back out, Joseph's going to end up dead or in a cop car. There's no coming back. I'm not going to relapse and come back for three days. I'm going to yeah. go. And yeah. that's what I tell myself. And that fear helps me to stay on track. That's awesome. Because a lot of times people that one more time is their last time. Because like you said, you either die or you go to prison. That's right. Yeah. And that works for me. It's worked so far. So I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did you manage your depression while healing from your addiction? So one of the things I struggled with when I was, I was sober is I had a lot of guilt still that I felt. Um, and, and one thing that I, I, and thankfully for the people in the rooms of the, of, of the program, and thank you for my higher power, because I got really close to God. I got really close to God because the one thing I understood about my higher power is there, there was forgiveness. And I remember reading something. And again, this is not to promote the Bible. But this, I'm speaking on my experience. I'm reading something in the Bible and it said that therefore any man who is in Christ is a new creation. All old things are gone and all new things, behold, new things are, 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 are come or I forgot the exact word. And I just remember, I remember reading that and thinking, okay, so my past is gone. And that was what I struggled with. I struggled with my past. I struggled with the guilt. So when I found that out, I was like, okay, there's a God that forgives me and loves me. So I accepted that. But now how do I deal with this stuff? Because mm -hmm. I still went to bed at night and I remember the friends that I stole from. I remember the pain that I caused my mom and dad. You know, and I, and I remember just feeling like I still was good for nothing. I still felt like I had a lot of pain. Mm. What I would do and the number one thing I did was I shared those thoughts with somebody else. And it goes back to that is I, I, I shared those things that I was struggling with with another individual. You know, every time I, I had those feelings before, my depression won because I kept it inside. I did it alone. Yeah. And every, the way I battled my depression as I, as I came out and I realized you're not your past, these are just things you've done, is I got it off my chest. I would call my sponsor sometimes at like nine o'clock at night on a random day with tears in my eyes. Like, dude, I just feel so guilty, man. Like I was just driving by this gas station. I remember like I met somebody there and I stole their money that day. And like, man, that person was a good person. Like I've done a lot of things, you know, and I felt guilty. I was weighing guilt. And all he kept telling me is Joseph, Number one, you're forgiven. And I know you did those things. And if you keep working this program, one day you will have an opportunity to go ask for forgiveness or go correct those amends. And I remember when he told me that, I thought that was very neat. You know, I know a lot of people are scared to do that now in the program to go back to the people that they actually harmed and, and make amends to them. But I was excited about that part. Yeah. Not everybody took it. So to, to give a one sentence answer, I know it's kind of long winded. No, the that's best okay. Way I'd, the best way I dealt with it was getting it out of my chest and my mind and sharing it with another person. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is a lot of times that the guilt eats you up. You think you're too bad and you're, you're, right. you, you've done too much damage. So I may as well stay in addiction. Right. And, and, you know, if you're seeing things through your own, like I'm my worst critic, mm -hmm. you know, I, I say this all the time. I'll critique myself as a father all the time because I'm always looking at things I can do better and stuff like that. But I got to take my glasses off and ask somebody else for their perspective. You know, if I'm feeling strong, I'm feeling, I need another perspective in my life. 
to help me get through life. If I'm doing things by my own perspective, I mean, I promise you, I'll go right back down in that depression. Yeah. And I think we are our own worst enemies. Most oftentimes we I critique agree. ourselves and we think that the world sees us a certain type of way when that is probably not the way they see us at all. That's right. It's just how we think people see us. That's a great exactly. point. Exactly. Yes. Um, so tell us how you came to find your confidence and learn to love yourself. So as I learned to love myself was not worrying about what other people thought about me. That was a big struggle of mine. Um, and I actually talk about this a lot on my podcast as well. It's one of my passions of, of where that, where, when you asked me of, of the one thing, it was, it was happiness. Where does your happiness come from? Well, I started to feel like the only way to love myself was if other people loved me too. Mm -hmm. The only way I thought that I was good is if other people told me I was good. So in early in recovery, I felt that way. And I never really loved myself. I still struggled with self-confidence because what really starts to happen is if you're doing things for other people, one day somebody's not going to agree with you or they're not going to like you or they might even judge you. They might say, you know, and, and then all of a sudden now I'm like, oh, well, I stink and I'm not good. And mm -hmm. I based that off of what one person said. So I, I, that's how I, I first really battled with that in the beginning of like, man, how do I learn to love myself? Well, I, I found out I needed validation from other people. And then the gift happened when I started to, I started to do things for other people to get their approval or so they could like me. And then I did, I also felt like I was transactional. You know, one thing I'm grateful for is my self-awareness. Like I'm always just trying to look at myself and say, well, why do you feel this way? And the program actually teaches you to do that by doing mm -hmm. inventories and the steps. And slowly but surely, I found out that I don't really love myself because I don't know who I am and I need other people to love me. And I, and then it became with what's up. So I started focusing on that. Like even now in my business, I, I operate it so I can have more free time to give value. I just left somebody who just got out of prison seven years ago brought him a bag of clothes. This is stuff I love to do. This is, this is mm -hmm. who I am. That's how I love myself. And that's things, that, you know, especially like my father, I grew up in a middle Eastern culture and I would go to their church. And a lot of times my dad would tell me, Hey, you know, don't tell anybody you were in prison. Just tell them you were in Michigan. And, and then I started like losing who I was. And then I really did love myself because I didn't know who I was. So I really started to, I sat down with my father and I had a, a kind of a heart to heart to say, listen, I need to figure out who I am. You know, I'm becoming this version that you want me to be, but it's really not who I am. I, I want to be honest. I want to be open. I don't want to hide behind my past and I don't want to have to lie to people and have to, that's what I used to do when I was getting high. I used to lie to people and I don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So, and I want to figure out who I am, you know, cause I actually did want to get to this place where I loved myself. I wasn't there still yet. Um, you know, I, I was still carrying guilt. And, and then I, I started that journey. And even as I started the journey, I was like, okay, who am I? I had guilt about things that I did in my past. You know, and as I would talk to people, they slowly would remove that guilt. But one of the biggest things that really helped me to figure out who I am was I read a book by Stephen Covey. It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in this book, he talks about, there's a chapter called Begin with the End in Mind. And the begin with the end in mind states that he asks you to close your eyes um, and envision yourself walking into a church. Everybody's wearing all black and it's a funeral. And inside this casket is yourself. And there's going to be five of the closest people that you're speaking that are going to speak at your funeral. What do you want them to say about you? They can be your mother, your wife. So I picked five of my closest people. And what did I want them to say about me? What I found. And then he told me after you, you write it down, come back to the book. So I came back to the book. And then what I found was. He said that this is what's actually important to you. This is the most authentic version of you. 
you know, a lot of times we chase money. We want, we say, Hey, the more money I make, the better I feel about myself. And if you didn't write down money, that means it's not the most important thing for you. So I, at that moment, I started thinking about those things. I started thinking about being a good husband, being a good father. And that's how I found out that that's what's important to me. You know, and then I, I also realized, okay, if other people are judging me, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with self-love because what happens is, especially on social media now, you know, you have somebody who says something negative about you and maybe, you know, we all have insecurities, right? We all have our mm-hmm. own things. So sometimes somebody will say something negative and it hits our insecurity. And now we think, oh, you know what? I'm not good. This person just said I stink. Well, I flip the script and I say, hey, if somebody says you were bad, well, maybe they don't really know your whole story. Maybe they're just going through something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a post the other day and I was just talking about positivity and somebody commented on it and said, you know, nobody wants to hear your positive talk anymore. <laughs> and most people would, you know, say, you know what? Maybe I should stop posting. You know, look, you know, maybe he's right. Well, one thing I know is I'm not posting to get anybody's affirmation. You know, I'm not posting to have anybody tell me to do a great job or, or be in the Hall of Fame of speaking. I'm doing it because I want to do it and I love it. And that person might be going through something right now in their life. Maybe they're unhappy. I start thinking with empathy. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the ways that I, I, I tell myself, you know, hey, as long as I know what is important to me, I don't put too much weight on what other people will say about me. I was telling my wife this last night. I actually want everybody to like me. I really do. But if you don't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem because I love myself. And that's all that really matters. And I think that a lot of people lose sight of that. They're looking for the affirmation from out in the world when you have to love yourself. That's so, right. I think, also, I think it also goes on the other side too. It's like, if you don't want to hear the, like, you know, I think a lot of people put a lot of weight on getting quality comments or that makes sense. Like, oh, great yeah. job. They do things, whether it's at their work or like if a husband is cleaning, the, doing the dishes for his wife, he's doing it because he wants her to say good job. Well, to me, that's the same thing. You know, yeah. if you don't want to hear bad things, don't do things just to get, hey, great job. Good job. You shouldn't have any weight towards that either. Just do it because you want to do it. and You love to do it. And that's who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, when we get those negative comments, you can take it as constructive criticism and or maybe, like you said, somebody's going through something. So they're projecting their bad feelings onto you. That's right. It's empathy. It's thinking with empathy. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk about from a man's standpoint? Because a lot of times in self-healing, you find that the majority is aimed towards women because men are supposed to stand up and be the backbone and they're not supposed to have problems. Can you talk about getting real with yourself from a male standpoint in healing, what that looks like? I'm so glad you said that. So the name of my podcast is called Let's Get Real. And the reason why it's called Let's Get Real is because I, I I agree with what you just said 100%. I think what happens is, and, and I saw it a lot in myself, and that's why I feel like I can relate to it, is as a man, you're not supposed to talk about the things you're going through. You're supposed mm-hmm. to just be a man and deal with it. And especially like when I was in prison, you know, you don't show any emotions. You don't, you know, these are a bunch of macho men around each other, a lot of testosterone, don't cry. Don't You can't show emotions. Well, I don't understand how, I mean, I think every person's going through something. And I started to have conversations with people in the self-help world and stuff. And, and I was so like, let's get down to the meat. Like, what are you going through? 
and and I learned that in recovery because I was on the opposite end. Like I never wanted to talk about anything I went through. And one of the reasons that I want, I never wanted to do it was number one, I didn't think anybody really cared. Mm-hmm. Nobody really cares about what I, what my problem is. I don't want to call and be that guy who just like crying about his problems. And number two, I was afraid you were going to judge me. I was afraid you were going to say, oh, wow, Joseph, you struggle with pornography? Like, so what? And I'm like, <laughs> I know, but I feel like that's a, that's a struggle because I'm married and this is a struggle for me. And I, and I understood for me, what I'm always trying to do today, because I was that non-authentic self is I want to be authentic. I mm-hmm. want to like, you know, one of my prayers every morning is God show me where I'm struggling so I could, I could fix that area and get better at it. And, and number one, be closer to you, you know, and number two, I don't want to be blinded by something. And all of a sudden I'm back on drugs mm-hmm. So that's a big for me is if I'm not self-aware, I'm afraid I'll be back on drugs. It's, it's how I relate to it. So I, th- I think as even as you talk to men, it's just they get around men and, hey, how's work and how's this and how's that? But there's no real conversations. You know, there's right. no, like, hey, what are you struggling with? What are some areas that I can help you? You know, hey, this is what I'm really struggling with today. You know, I'm struggling with self-confidence and I'm really struggling with, like, you know, wondering if I'm actually being a good husband, you know, and, and being a good father. I think that's where the real growth happens. Mm-hmm. The real growth happens when you're authentic, when you're real. And, and I heard somebody say this, and I love it, is why I share and I try to be the most vulnerable person, to give them permission to be vulnerable too. And I think we need more men like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think men are afraid to get vulnerable because nobody's getting vulnerable. Society says that you are in a box as labeled as soft if That's you right. get real. And I don't believe that that is true. I agree. And you know what's what's funny about that is, you know, somebody would say, you know, oh, you're so soft, you're so weak. And I would respond with that is, I think that's actually a strong person. Me too. Strongest men are the one who can put their pride aside, who can put their ego aside and say, hey, I'm just trying to get better. You know, I agree. Father first. If I'm not getting better, I'm not getting better for my wife and my kids. Who am I to think I'm perfect? I got to grow to be a better husband and father for my children. And the only way to grow is that there's a, every person has an area to struggle with. Mm -hmm. I got an area today in my life I can't do it alone. And how am I going to get through it if I don't talk to anybody about it? And that's where I, that, that's what I'm trying to change in men. I'm trying to change. I can't change all of them. Right. But I, I want to show people that, hey, you know, people look at me as I'm a seven, seven figure business. And while you have this family and they see all that, I want them to see the vulnerable side. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to be like, hey, these are the things I struggled with. Hey, today I struggle with still wanting to get validation and I might do something for my wife. And I defend myself because I still think I'm not a good enough father. These are things I'm dealing with today. And this is how I'm coping with it. What about you, man? How, what do you do for that? Mm-hmm. And I just I get honest with them first. And I think that's how you open up the door is you be vulnerable first to somebody. And I, and that's what I try to do. I try to be vulnerable with the men in my life, people I talk to on podcasts or they hear me. So when they meet me, they know, hey, this guy's vulnerable. I, I might have permission to get vulnerable with him. Yeah, that's awesome. And I hope you reach tons of people because I think that it is important for men to be able to have a voice too, you know, instead of having to hold it all in. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you say to someone who has come from a difficult past and, but is in denial because it's a sign of weakness? What do you say to them? Well, th- what I would say to them is uh, what are you using to, co- to mask that stuff? Like what in your life right now, are you using to cover up your past and not deal with it? 
Because the truth is, is if we're not going to deal with the things in our past and you don't want to talk about them and you're, you're just saying it's not a big deal. Well, you know what? Every night you lay your head at night, you lay your head on that pillow. I know there's moments in your day that you think about those things, but you use something. I don't know if it's pornography. I don't know if it's alcohol. I don't know if you're masking it with pride and ego. I don't know if it's gamble. I don't know what you're using to cover it up, but you're using something to cover mm-hmm. it up. And, and if it's pride and ego, it's affecting you in other areas of your life. You know, our past is not who we are. It's just things that happen to us. Mm-hmm. I was always afraid to say out loud, and I say this on podcasts in front of a room of 100 people when I share my story, that I was molested when I was seven years old. Because I thought when I said that, you were going to say, oh, my God, you're so soft. You let that happen to you? What kind of man are you? That you let? That's what I believed. Yeah. It's, it's authentic to who I am. It's things that happen to me. And once I dealt with it, it became, a, it almost became like a secret power of mine because now I said, you know what, this happened to me, but how did it affect me? I'm like, well, I got bothered because I never spoke up. Okay, well now I can actually start speaking up about some things that I struggle with because I know what it feels like to hide behind it. You know, I, that's the part that I, I find it, 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 I don't want to say it scares me with men, but it's like, man, we don't want to be honest. We, you know, look, you're dealing with something. There's something going on. Mm-hmm. One day you're going to be 90 years old and you're going to have regret that you never lived out the fullest version of you because you didn't have enough self-confidence or self-love because you never faced the stuff you did. You thought you were somebody else. You tried to be, if you're masking stuff, that means you're also, when you're standing in front of people, you're trying to be somebody else that you're not. Exactly. And then one day you're going to look back and say, man, I wish I could have been a vet. That's one thing I never want to do. I don't want to be 90 years old in a retirement home or 100 years old, wherever I am and have regret that, man, I, I wasn't myself. I wasn't the most authentic version of myself. I could have gotten better here. I could have done this more, you know, so that that's, I know it's a long winded answer, but you know, no, I like if it. Behind it. If you're hiding behind it, you're using something to cope with it instead of actually dealing with it. And, and it might be out of hand at this point, or it might be getting there. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take you weak just to deal with it. You're a human. you got faults. you got things we all do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Society puts a lot of that on us. The old way of just sweeping it under the rug, keeping silent about it. It's caused damage to everybody. Yeah, it's a new thing where it's like post on social media, the glory, you know, and everybody wants to see all the great and the, oh, there's this much, there's that. But like, you know, it's like I always laugh when I like I still do it. We, we post family pictures and I'm like, man, if people saw the behind the scenes of what this took. Yeah. Our life is about the reels, you know, and, and it's not real, you know, it's yeah. not real life. It's just what you see in a photo, you know, that just looks real. But that person's going through something, too, you know. Mm-hmm. And I call it uh, Pinterest perfection or whatever, where it looks perfect. And then we as content ingesters base our failure off of what we see on Pinterest, on Facebook, on Instagram, because it looks a certain way. That's right. Yeah. It's like, I I just made actually a post the other day on Instagram and I said, you know, if you're, if you're putting a message out there and you're trying to share your message and you're worried about how many views you're getting, you know, and that's the thing is like people stop. I I know I did like two years ago, I would make some posts. I'm like, you know, nobody's really watching. Let me stop. But that's because I had an insecurity and I needed people to watch my video to act like I knew what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. I would validate that I actually believed what I talked about. And then I flipped the script. I said, hold on a second. I'm not sharing to get a bunch of views. What? Why am I really sharing my message? 
I'm sharing my message because I want to help people. Well, then the views don't matter. Mm -hmm. you know? And if you have a hundred views, imagine if I asked you to stand in front of a room of a hundred people to share your message. Most people would be scared. Mm -hmm. But we got in this culture of like, you got to be this, you know, I, I want to post the greatest picture that gets the most likes and the most views. And it's I like, need to go viral. <laughs> that's right. Everybody wants that viral moment. And it's funny. I was telling my daughter this the other day. I said, you know what? If you go viral and you get a viral video, what's next? You know, what do you do next? Right. Mm -hmm. what's, the viral video comes out. What does that make you feel significant now? So the real struggle is you, you're looking for your significance in a viral video. So here I'll, I'll pay for ads. And I'll get your video to get a million views. I'll find a marker to get a million views. And I promise you, you're going to wake up tomorrow and nothing's going to change. You, it's just you have an insecurity in you and you're using the views to help your insecurity to make you feel better about your insecurity. Well, mm -hmm. let's talk about what your insecurity is. And so we don't have to actually need views to actually figure out how to be, you know, why you're insecure. Exactly. Yeah. And along with those million views comes um, about a half a million haters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just share my stuff and I have a message out there because I don't know if it's one person that's going to hear it. You know, if it's just me for having connections, I enjoy telling like people coming on my podcast to share stories and anything I ever share on Instagram is because like, Oh, I learned something maybe, or I thought of something that helped me when I was sober and I put it out there because I'm hoping it helps one person. Mm -hmm. that's, I do it. When you take away, when you do it for that reason, then you should be posting something every day because now you don't care how many views you get. You're just doing it to reach somebody. Exactly. Exactly. So tell us about your podcast and how you're using your story to help others. Yeah. So my, my podcast is called let's get real. Uh, the purpose of the podcast when I first started, it was actually, you know, it's funny. I was telling myself for so long, I want to start a podcast. Um, and I didn't do it cause I had excuses of why I couldn't do it. I don't have a microphone and I don't have this. And and it was, it came through a conversation I was having actually with my son. I said, Hey man, stop telling yourself you're going to do something and you're not going to do it. That's why you're not confident. And it was almost like I was speaking to myself when I said that. So then I said, I'm going to start a podcast. It's going to call let's get real. I've always talked about being real and telling real stories and, and authentic vulnerable stories. So I started it with mine and I actually like just, I was driving like I am talking to you right now on my AirPods and I recorded what you heard. This was my story. The audio is probably terrible. <laughs> uh, it was just very different than what you hear now. I mean, we're still only 16 episodes in and the purpose of it was to, to talk about real situations, talk about what my perspective was. And then I actually started to fall in love with interviewing other people. I started to fall. I, I realized that, Hey, you know what, Joseph? Yes, you have a great story. You've overcame a lot. Your perspective may help a lot of people, but you're only one person. There's only so many people you can reach. You know, if somebody's not a drug addict that never, you know, been on drugs or never dealt with in prison, they, they might not relate to you. Maybe you can't reach them. What if I could bring, so I thought about bringing other people who had different stories, whether it was like you heard Nick, somebody who was a young entrepreneur that struggled through that business. So now I want to use real life stories, real life situations, and not just talk about the success. Like that's mm -hmm. the big like, you know, I love podcasts too. And that was the other reason why I wanted to start one was podcasts was something that I used as like mentorship. I would just listen to them to put something positive in my mind. So that's, I actually always love them. So if I want to bring value, I might as well bring it the way I received it. Mm -hmm. which was podcasts and videos on Instagram and stuff. And then when, like I said, I, I now I want to bring real life stories, not just say, Hey, Nick's making $150,000 a year. He's going to teach you sales tips. 
I wanted people to hear his struggles. Yeah. Because when I was an entrepreneur, I would listen to entrepreneurs. Some of them were honest and said, yeah, I started a business and I failed and I failed. And what was awesome for me was it almost when I failed, I was like, oh, this is just part of it. Failure is part of it. Because I would also listen to other people who were like, yeah, my first business, I did this and I made that and I'm making this much money and I'm confident and all. They were just talking about all this good stuff. And it, yeah. it, it kind of made me feel like, am I not on the right track? Am I am? So my podcast being Let's Get Real is to just be real, to be authentic, what people really went through. You don't just see the glamour. You see the real stories of how these people overcome. We had We had a couple ladies on there that were victims of human trafficking. You know, one girl was out in Vegas. It was it was a very intense, you know, very emotional when, as she was telling her story. But she talked about how she overcame that, how she loved herself, how she understood that, you know what, I can be somebody different. Now I'm helping people. And I think anybody could hear that story. Yeah. And, you know what? I can relate to it. So that's the reason my podcast is to be able to bring those stories out, give people a platform to, to use their story, to bring value to anybody that listens to it. Yeah, 100%. I can't wait to listen to more because I'm already hooked in. So share with us what life is like for you now. So man, if you would have asked me five years ago to, to paint a picture of my life today, I would have sold myself so short. Uh, like I really would have. Um, it's crazy. It almost gets me emotional. Like you know, I was I was at a place that I hated my life. You know, I, I, I didn't want to help anybody. I only cared about me. You know, I just wanted what Joseph wanted. And I don't if, if I need to help you, what am I getting from it? You know, mm. and and today it's like it's amazing. Thank God that it's it's different for me right now. You know, I mean, I, I have I'm so lucky to have an amazing wife that is I, I couldn't even paint a better picture of her. She's, she was a gift from God. I got amazing children in my life today. I got a relationship again with my mother and father. I'll be I'll be at my dad's house on Saturday and I get to help him build a shed. Like it sounds silly, but like I get to help my dad. My dad used to not let me in his house. He would lock the door and tell me like, don't come around here. And on Saturday, I'm gonna bring my two girls to their house and help him build the shed. You know, and, and it, it's it sometimes baffles me. You know, my business is, is operating itself. We make a great income that allows me to do the things that I'm passionate about. You know, and, and right now, my biggest passion uh, currently is prison ministry. You know, I, mm. I, just left, I just left the guy that I was in prison with. You know, that's why I'm driving right now and, I, and I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm leaving Gainesville. It's a two-hour drive. He was in prison for seven years and he was a drug addict. And, you know, he's, he's coming back into the world. And the truth is, is I know, you know, the world might put a stigma on felons. You know, you go to the fill yeah. an application now and, and he's already scared. He's a little nervous being home. He just wants to do right. And that's my passion is, is I want to be an example for those people who, who are given a second chance in life. And yes, the world may make it difficult, but it doesn't mean you can't make it. You know, yeah. yes, when I go fill an application, I do have to check that I'm a felon. When I go rent a home, even after three years of renting a house, yes, I do have to check it, but that's okay. You know, it doesn't matter. You can still, I, I rent a home now and it's a beautiful house and, and you know, it's, it works out. So my passion today is really just reaching out to other people. I, I always say there's no drug in the world. There's I've, ta I've taken a lot of drugs, Nicole, almost all of them. But there's no drug in this world that brings me as, as much joy as it is as helping another person. You know, yeah. giving value, being of service to somebody else. And right now, that's just what my life is about. It's about being able to serve others. Um, I can go work more and make more money, but 
there's only so much you can do with the money. I know you can give it back and all this stuff, but my, my true passion in life right now is bringing value to somebody who can, and it helps me get out of me. You know, today I'm not thinking about Joseph's problems. I'm just, I left his house. He, he, he got to eat a Hardee's burger for the first time. He's just grateful for life for somebody mm-hmm. to bring him some clothes. And I do have a lot of, I do have issues in my life today, but guess what? Today I'm not thinking about them because I turned my thoughts to somebody else. And that's what I try to do every day now. So honestly, my life is, is, is way more than I could have asked for. Um, just being able to wake up every day and, and honestly just be happy, as simple as that sounds. Like I said, helping my dad, being able to be this human. Like I never thought I was capable of this stuff. Yeah. I always just thought I was good for nothing and, and I had nothing to give to anybody. But today I realize my past is the greatest possession that I carry. I can help so many people now that I can relate to. 100%. Yeah, going into the prisons is is, is the next thing. I, I I'm, I'm about two weeks away from being able to walk into a prison, but actually walk out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, my wife said she's like, babe. I mean, I love to play basketball. I love working out. I love businesses. I'm a very passionate person. And my wife told me the other day, she's like, I have never seen you so excited to go into a prison. Yeah. And I'm fired up. I, I can't wait to go in there just to bring some hope because people did it for me. They saved my life. The people that came in there, the people that lend out a hand to me to give me hope they saved my life so i have to do the same thing to other people it's my gift it's my god-given gift 100 percent. i think too with people who go to prison or go to jail once they get that tag put on them they think all hope is lost so for you to go in there and say look it can look like this that's right is 100 the best thing you can do and that's that's how we can come away from the bad things that we may have done i mean can't appreciate the good if you didn't do some bad, right? Well, and it gives it a purpose. Like I always say, mm-hmm. like it gives my past a purpose. You know, my pain is now, it's not, it's not a mistake. My pain now has a purpose. You know, yep. I, I've actually sat down with people who were molested when they were younger and I was able to talk to them about, I understand. I know where you come from. I know how it feels to think you can't talk to anybody about it. You're ashamed. Mm-hmm. I was there, you know, but I'm glad you can talk to somebody about it now, you know? Yeah. So that's. That's why I say it gives my past a purpose. If I can use my past to help other people, it, now my pain is not, it's not like void, you know? It, there's a reason for it, and yep. now I can use it. Yep, yep, exactly. What do you have planned in the future to help others through the similar experiences besides going into the jails? Are you going to, like, make a program, do anything like that that you can share with more people than... Yeah. So, um, like, one of the thoughts I've actually thought about was um, coaching individuals because I've had a lot of people reach out to me and want, like, some one-on-one just talk. And I've honestly just been doing it. It's just been kind of getting crazy now. Like, there's a lot of people. Uh, that's one of the thoughts that I've had. But the big plan that I really want to do, it's been a, it's been a goal of mine um, for the past three years. Is I want to build a recovery home, like mm-hmm. a treatment center almost. Now, the treatment centers are very difficult, especially in Florida, because you got the detox stuff that's involved with it. But the start will be just a halfway house for mm-hmm. whether guys that are coming out of prison or treatment centers that don't need the detox will start there. And I want them to be able to come to this home. And I, I want to be involved in it, though. Like, I want to be there and be able to walk these guys through and mentor some of these guys to to show them the way. You know, and that's what they're all, that's what most people are looking for. You know, most people that come from this past, they, they don't have anybody good in their life because they've created a lot of damage. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if, if one person were willing to give them a shot, I think there's a lot that good can be done. So 
you know, the first thing is coaching. Um, I'm really passionate about talking to somebody one-on-one and, and helping them see another perspective, helping them to understand what happiness means to them. You know, some people I think today are struggling with that right now. They're struggling with, am I living my purpose? You know, I feel like what I'm doing is not enough. I feel like my life is insignificant. And I love going to the root. I tell people, hey, if we're going to talk, we're going to get real. I'm mm-hmm. going to take you to childhood. I'm going to take you to why you feel that way. We're going to shed some tears together. But I, I, we need to uncover some stuff so we can actually change. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk, I'm, I'm talking to you absolutely free. But I, I've started this program now to kind of help free up some time. I'm doing some free monthly calls, like where I can actually just give some free, talk to some people. If it's sometimes like 20 people on there, I can only talk to three. Um, but I do also think when somebody is willing to, you know, say, Hey, I, I need a coach, I need help. Then I don't have to try to keep, like the, the need is there. You know, I, right. I know that some people that are hopping on the free stuff. It's like, maybe they're just looking for some motivation and just a little feel better. And when I try to get deep, they don't want to open up because it's free. It's just the truth. And I find the people that are investing, it's very, it's a very low cost, not even a lot of money um, for the time that I spend with these individuals. But I know when they spend it, they have to get some. Now they feel like I need to get something from this. Mm-hmm. And those conversations have been life changing. The things I've been able to help people and just giving them another perspective. And that's all I do is I, I help uncover the roots and I give you another perspective. So that's the that's the thing that's going on right now for me. Um, and, and my program is actually different. Like people say, like, what does your program look like? It's conversations. It's not this 30 day. Tactical yeah. thing. Every person's different. Every person needs something different. I'm going to talk yeah. to you. The first hours, I'm going to get to know who you are and what you're struggling with. I need to hear your story. It's got to be on Zoom because I need to see your facial expressions. I need to see some things that you actually feel when you talk about something. I'll, I'll, I'll notice your energy. I notice a few things like I think I lost you. Oh. Are you back? Yeah, I'm back. I think I connect to Wi-Fi. <laughs> I lost you at energy. You got to see their energy. Yeah. That's- so, yeah. So I, I'll do it on a Zoom call so I could see their energy. You know, when somebody talks like if you were to talk to me for an hour to get to know me, you'll start talking about my business and basketball and gym and you'll hear me like kind of get excited. But then you'll start talking to me about prison ministry and my marriage and my family. And you can just tell my energy is going to change. I start to get a little bit more passionate mm-hmm. or you ask me like kind of a deep question. And I kind of shy away and don't really go deep and my energy goes down. And those are things that why I want to talk to them the first time. And then the second call is we I immediately start to go deep. I want to uncover the roots of why are you afraid here or where did this come from? Where do you think that your fear of not being a good enough father is coming from. Did somebody tell you that? Did your wife tell you that? No. Nope. Okay. And then I, I want to uncover these things. Mm-hmm. Always, and, it, and what's crazy, I've noticed, it always goes down to something in their childhood. Oh, yeah. It always goes down to, yeah. I didn't have a father to validate me, you know, or my dad always told me, whatever. I, he always corrected everything I did. So now I think I'm not, it always goes down to the childhood trauma. And once we uncover that trauma, it's okay. I still get defensive with my wife sometimes. Now I catch it quicker now because I understand it. But for example, I used to get defensive with my wife if she corrected me when I when it was raising some of our children. And what I uncovered was the reason why I was getting defensive is, is my wife never realized when she did that, it, it hit a trigger in my heart. It made me think I wasn't a good enough father. And I found out when I was younger, everything I did, whether it's sports, work, my dad always corrected me. Mm-hmm. And I always was like, Dad, you never act, you never say like good job. You know, like you never said you did good. And I never realized that that that's where it came from. But when I uncovered that, now I know when my wife says something, it's crazy. I actually start to feel my blood starts to boil 
But instead of blowing up on her, I start saying, hey, babe, now she knows that's one of the things that I go through. I say, hey, I, I need to let you know. I, like, I'm sorry. I know what you just said. It kind of affected me to make me feel like I'm not doing good enough. And I know that's not your intention. I just don't want to get upset. And, and what are some things? So right away, I just say it out loud to her. And because my wife knows that this is something I've had this conversation with her, she's aware of these things. We can't, sometimes we, we can get rid of them. But we, what I, what I always say is you may not get rid of that feeling, but now you know how to deal with it. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where the change starts to happen. That's where your authentic self starts to happen. When you realize that these are the things that I've been through and this is how I get through them now. Yeah. And instead of bottling that emotion up and being resentful towards her, you're able to talk it out. She can come to some understanding and then you can work it out, which is absolutely true. Most oftentimes when we get triggered, it's because it's something from our past. Most all of my podcasts, my third question is, did you suffer childhood trauma? Which is a great question. I mean, <laughs> I love that. that makes so when you just said that now, I was like, that makes so much sense. It's such a great question. Mm -hmm. that the things of where your fears come from. Yep. And what's amazing, my wife does the same thing herself. You know, she, she tells me the security is very high. You know, are, are her because she went through a divorce where her husband just continued to leave And me having a relapse because she's never seen me, you know, on drugs. Mm. I know those are her insecurities, so now I know how do I not uncover them. So she tells me sometimes I say something and it affects her insecurity, it hits it. Now I don't have to get mad at her for getting frustrated at me. We understand these things about each other. Effective communication. Exactly. I think that's where a lot of things hit a disconnect is that there's not a clear line of communication. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's, it's authentic, like, especially in marriage, you know, especially with husbands. Some people tell me, like, man, you're so honest with your wife. Don't you think she's going to use it to her advantage, like, of your weaknesses? I was like, why is that the thought that, like, <laughs> if, if you get so real with your wife to tell her that she's going to take advantage of me, <laughs> why are we thinking this way? Yeah, so, that's the whole thing, that society thing. <laughs> and it's backwards. Like, it's amazing how when, when my wife called me one day, and it's just an example of, of how to utilize these techniques, things that I teach people. And she was stressed out on a Sunday morning. I go to a recovery meeting every Sunday morning, and my wife, she gets our kids ready for church by herself. Well, she called me stressed out, and she was actually frustrated at me. She goes, I just hate that I'm doing this all by myself. And now I've been going to the same meeting for the past three years, so I leave every Sunday morning. Now, most people would just tell her or think, hey, Joseph, you work, you build a business, you're home every day at 5, every day I come home, I'm present they would automatically start scoring points. That's what I used to do. I say, hey, you're going to complain about the Sunday I wasn't there. I did this, I did that. But because of the things that I've learned, the first thought that came to me was, was there something I could have done differently here? And immediately I said, you know what, babe, I realized I just woke up on Sunday, this Sunday, and I woke up, took a shower, got out of the house. I didn't even think about helping you make breakfast maybe or doing something to offer your help. And I apologize. Now, when I'm authentic with her, you know what that does? It allows her to see that. Then she starts looking at herself as well. So it's yes. not that she's going to take advantage of you. If I'm honest and vulnerable about, hey, you know what? You're right. I should have helped you a little bit more. I should have woke up. I was only thinking about getting extra sleep. And you know what? That's wrong. You should have to wake up by yourself and take care of the girls. So I'll start waking up Sunday mornings a little bit earlier and at least make some breakfast, do something to help you since you got to get the girls out of the house. And now she's 
she is always reflecting of herself because I'm setting the example there. Yeah. You know, so it's crazy how backwards we have it. We think, you know, you got to keep a score. To... Yeah. Yeah. And it's backwards. It's definitely yeah. backwards. 100%. I agree. Yeah. You need to teach a class on that too. Cause I think that's why a lot of marriages and relationships fail is that there's a scorekeeping situation and that thought process of, Oh, well, if I admit something to my spouse, then they're going to get one up on me, which it should not be. You're a team. Yeah. And I, I can't say I've always done that. I learned it the hard way, but right. my first years of marriage, you know, my wife's first thing is she wanted to quit her job. She wanted to be a stay at home mother, you know? So I, I worked my business. I built it for her to be a stay at home mother. And I started just thinking like, like true thoughts. Like I come home every day at five o'clock, I'm present. I'm, I'm giving the girls a bath. I'm putting them to bed. I'm home every weekend. You know, I'm doing everything I can for you. So anytime she complained to me, I, I got defensive right away. Like, you don't have the right to complain to me because I do so much for you. And I started realizing, like, I'm just keeping points here. I'm trying to say I do more for her. And she can't. Now she feels like she can't even open up to me about something that she's struggling with because she thinks I'm going to be mad at her. You know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I've kept, I've kept points before, but I learned the hard way. I haven't been always this way. I, I don't want it to come off like I've been this perfect guy for five years. But right. I've learned through the process that that's not how you win. You, know, you don't win in marriage by keeping points. I, I sacrifice myself every day. My wife's the most important thing for me. I'll sacrifice whatever I have to do for her a hundred times over. That's awesome. And I think as humans, we have to realize that we're ever learning. We're always going to be learning until we're not alive anymore. <laughs> so no, that's right. yeah. <laughs> I wish we didn't have to Yeah. Not have these faults and not have these, but you know, it's why I always say I need a higher power to be honest with you. Cause yeah. I got to die to myself every day so I can look to him because I need to realize like, Hey, I got faults. I got issues I'm going through and I need, I need a higher power to actually help me uncover those stuff, to show me my mm -hmm. pride, my, to show me my defects of character. 100%, 100%. So what advice do you have for someone struggling with issues similar to yours, but they're not where you're at right now? What advice do you have for them to start? Well, if, if it was somebody, you know, if we're talking about somebody struggling with the addiction, which was the biggest part of mine, um, you know, the, the real tough part about this is, you know, when somebody's in the, in the addiction, you know, they have to be ready to hear it, you know, and, and I, it's tough because I deal with this with mothers and fathers who want me to go talk to their son. I'm like, is he ready? Because he want me to talk to him. I'm like, no, I was like, there's nothing I can say to him that he's going to listen. Yeah. But if somebody was at that point where they want to listen and they're at their bottom and they don't know, my answer is I know it seems like it's impossible. Because that's what I thought. I thought the road to be at living a sober life was impossible. I thought it made sense to everybody else, but not me. You know, that works for you. You have a good life. You're happy, joyous, and free. But you don't know what I've been through. I've been through a lot. You don't know the things I've done. And I'm here to tell you that you're number one. You're not what you've done. You could change a chapter now. And, and the road to staying sober, it is hard. It's not easy. But waking up every day chasing drugs is hard, too. Yeah. Waking up every day and, and having to say I need drugs or alcohol in my system is hard. And, and there's no end of the road there. It's, to me, when you're on that, that path, it only leads to three places, jail, institution, or death. So I would just tell that person that, number one, I wish I could talk to you right now. 
and give you some hope and help you walk through this journey. But I'm not the only one out there. I know there's people, in, in, and the only place I know is the rooms of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, whatever place it is. But go somewhere where people can relate to you and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, and I want to change. And I hope their bottom is sufficient enough to say, I need to change, not just I want to, that I'm so scared of continuing to do this on this road that I don't have another choice. I need to change. You know, there's hope. It's, it's, not, it's not an easy road. But listen, I dropped out in ninth grade. I'm not special. I'm not anything. I was just so afraid to continue to wake up every day to get high that I chose the other route. And uncovering your past sometimes seems so scary. And I just look back at it and I'm like, man, it was actually like an amazing journey to mm-hmm. look back at stuff. And some people think, you know, because what happens when you're using drugs and alcohol is you're numbing the, you're numbing the feelings you have. And those feelings are your past. So you take away the drugs and you're still dealing with the feeling. Well, I promise you those go away. I promise you it gets better. You know, those feelings are not going to stay. They're just feelings. Those mm-hmm. feelings will be removed as you continue to work this program. And if it works for me, it could work for you. I mean, I know God God is, is so gracious and sufficient that I'm telling you, that's why when you ask me about myself and my life today, I got emotional because it makes no sense to me that I have this life. I, don't, I almost sometimes think I don't deserve it. But it's from doing the hard things and just just choosing to say, hey, let me try something different. And that's all I would tell somebody is just try something different. There's another way. You're worth yeah. it. You're 100% worth it. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with everybody? No, if anybody, I mean, if anybody heard this, you know, the reason why I like to get on people's podcasts is um, it's not selling coaching programs. I'm still talking to people for free. I love, like, I, I truly, truly, and I, I tell people, like, please test me if you think I'm, I'm telling you a lie. I want to connect with people. People that are dealing with something, it's my passion. That's why I post stuff. I don't post stuff. I post stuff so you could message me. So if anybody's listening and they're going through something right now, maybe they're struggling with, I want to be vulnerable with somebody, but I don't know who. I'm going to raise my hand and say, hey, pick me. <laughs> I'll tell you all my struggles, all my past. I'm the last person to judge you. I have 19 felonies on my record with actually some more with probation felonies and everything. I, I have a past too. I will not judge you, but walk this road with me. I'll be the first person that, that holds your hand and, and allows you to be vulnerable. You don't know me. I'm a stranger. Maybe it's easier for you to message me and say, hey, man, you you know, so that that's what I would like to do is if anybody's listening to this, you know, you can, my name is Joseph K-A-J-Y, search me on any social media platform and just send me a message and I want to talk to you. I and I'm going to... I'm going to put that in the show notes on how they can get a hold of you. Cause I think that I think your story is very powerful because you'll hear a lot of people in addiction or people who've been in prison. Oh, well, my record is holding me back. I, I can't, I can't see myself as being that successful person because I've done too many bad things. And I think that having you as an example can show them that yes, it is possible. Yeah. And that's what I want to be. I want to be the example, but I also want to be there with them. You know, I just don't want to be the guy on the video camera that they watch and they, they can't get a hold of. Does that make sense? Like, I want yeah. them to be able to reach out to me. So, I really hope that every podcast I have made, that one person asks me and says, hey, I, I did hear you and I would like, you know, I'd like to just chat with you for a little bit about something I'm struggling with that I've never been able to talk to somebody about. That's awesome. Well, I certainly do appreciate you coming on my podcast while you're busy <laughs> helping people. Uh, thanks for working through the schematics of the <laughs> Thank you. No problem. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording.
If you liked this and other episodes, please click subscribe, like, and share so others can enjoy them too. Thank you so much for listening.